You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 86 of the Comic Book Informer podcast. As always, I'm Vince, coming to you on Wednesday, July 11th with Roger. What's up, man? I'm trying really hard not to watch any social networks right now because I got whiff of the first tweet about The Walking Dead 100. (laughs) And it was like, that's it. Turn it all off now. I don't want to know until I've got it in my hands. (laughs) Yeah, most of the people I follow are pretty good about that, and if not, well, they get e-slapped. Well, I'm at the point, like we've been saying lately, that it better be damn good. And so the, the, the first tweet I saw was just that, and it was like, okay, stop reading, stop reading, I don't want this spoil then. <laughs> then again, I also heard a lot of people saying good things about 99 and such, so. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that is true. All right, well. For this week's discussion, we have another one of those episodes. And by that, I mean everybody loves those episodes where, I don't know about you, but I just didn't like what we're reading this week. I did not go in with high expectations, and they were met. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we're talking about Before Watchmen, because the the first wave of issue ones uh, finished up last week. We have five that we're talking about. And uh, the first one we've already mentioned... uh, several weeks back on the what we're reading segment and that was the Minutemen and that one was written by uh, oh, goodness written and also all of the art done by Darwin Cook and as we mentioned before if you've read the original Watchmen uh, specifically the bonus parts at the end you pretty much know everything that happened here already so it's at least through the first issue it didn't do anything to expand upon Watchmen at all nor did it get you excited about the other titles coming out. I mean, you're looking at this is the introduction to Before Watchmen. It should be something that really grabs you, especially considering the controversy associated with the title and with other people doing it. This should really hook you in. And it really didn't. Mm-hmm. And then we also mentioned that it had a Unique art style. I liked it. You didn't. But not, not really much more detail to go into since we've already covered it once. I agree. Okay, so moving on, the second issue that came out was The Silk Spectre. Uh, again, written by Darwin Cook, this time with art by Amanda Connor. I do have to say, I this issue did look fantastic for me. I really liked the art uh, in this one specifically. I agree. It was very, very good. As for the story, uh, again really nothing we didn't already know. We knew that Lori hated her mother Had been for trained by her. essentially forcing her to be the, this hero. And that's what we got in this issue. You know, 20 some pages of Lori hating her mother for forcing her to become a hero. And on top of that, just adding in teenage romance drama because that's what we needed. Not just teenage romance drama, but also teenage melodrama. Which was like, oh, come on, seriously? That that was one of the things about Watchmen was that it was a title for adults. It wasn't really aimed for kids. It was aimed for adults to appreciate a good story kind of thing. This is aimed at kids. And it was like, ah, oh, come on, really? I I really, I didn't enjoy it. 
I the entire time I was reading this, I was like, this entire comic is one bad prom away from being Carrie. Because you had the overbearing mother that was, you know, holding her daughter down, not letting her experience anything other than what her mother wanted to teach her, except instead of, you know, the Bible, it was being a superhero, being ostracized by all of her friends, all the other girls at school hate her. I mean, seriously, this was a couple scenes away from being Carrie. Well, it's one cliche after another is what it was. So, I mean, right from the meeting the boy and then the boy not caring about everything else and just wanting to be with her and then the taking off in the love van. It it was just one cliche after another. And other than the good art, there was nothing else redeeming in it, I found. And like I said, once again, really nothing we didn't already know. Yeah. So, 0 for 2 on actually expanding the Watchmen universe and doing interesting new things with the characters. However, the next one, Comedian, actually did do interesting new things with the characters. And before I get into that, I'm going to get your interpretations of this. You are treading dangerous water when you are messing with established people in history and you really play with them to make them be what you want them to be and not what was there. Now, doesn't matter how much you try to get nuggets of, you know, accurate rumors or known things about them, it's still, you, you got to be careful because what happens is that it sounds too much like you're using that to further your story versus your story taking place in that time with those people. So we look, say, at the Manhattan Projects and we can see how it can be done very, very well. And effectively. And then we look at this, and in my opinion, this was forcing this idea down your throat. I mean, they use each other's names so many times in those first few pages where you got Teddy and Jack and everybody, and they use the names over and over and over again to reinforce the, the stupid people who haven't picked up on this, that these are the Kennedys. And then when you start looking at this relationship that the comedian has with them, including Jackie, who would like <laughs> it if he hits on her. Come on. So that uh, honestly, kind of... I read that scene as more the other way around with her making a pass at him. Well, she was, but she was also hoping that he would to her. Yeah. Make a pass at him. So it was like, you're playing Lucy goosey here <laughs> with some pretty iconic figures in American history. So, and not just American history. And then when you start also changing it so that he's the one that killed Marilyn and smacks a kiss on her ass before leaving, <laughs> I was like, really? Come on. I, I thought this turned out just to be something really cheesy and it didn't have the politi- political intrigue that I think they were going for. It didn't have that. It it felt forced, and I really, I didn't enjoy it. See, that's the thing. We know from reading Watchmen that the comedian has been involved in any number of important periods in American history and dealt with these historic figures. But aside from one or two scenes we really don't see that it's all implied and you know through statements and just the the general feel of the character and the flashbacks so taking that and completely removing all the mystery 
really changes the way the character is perceived because there's no longer that aura of mystique. It's just, oh, it, this is the guy. Beyond that, though, and this is where, as, as a Watchmen fan, I start to have a big issue with this. And I, I was on board with the concept and, okay, you know, pay homage to what Alan Moore did, but do your own thing. But now they're treading into the waters of really screwing with the continuity. And we're not talking, you know, hundreds of issues of continuity like in a regular comic. We're talking 12. In those original Watchmen, it was heavily implied through statements from multiple characters that Eddie is the one who assassinated JFK. Uh, we get the the scene early on when the, it was the flashback to the party where he, you know, he's making jokes about the situation where if he was – as close as we see to JFK, I, I think even the comedian would have a hard time joking about this. And then also even uh, Ozymandias at the end specifically says that he was in Dallas on the day of the shooting. So we are, we're having a continuity issue here and also a big issue with the whole concept of the character. Like the way comedian had been portrayed throughout Watchmen I personally, I have a hard time feeling that he would have been, you know, this buddy buddy with somebody like JFK. But I'm willing to suspend that. It's really the 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 continuity conflict again with a major plot point to the point where when the film was made, which was very true to the comics, there's actually a scene of him being the shooter on the grassy knoll. So it this is something that every Watchmen fan is pretty much accepted as fact and completely turning that around to be something completely different. It, it really left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Again, I there was there was too much that was done in this issue that I that played with the concept of the guy making him also out to be. Someone that you can really like even to a certain degree until he knocks off Marilyn. I mean, but <laughs> you could kind of like him and there's some redeeming qualities to a certain degree. That's not really there in Watchmen. Well, and I, I can see what they're going for here of, OK, he was a complete jerk when he was younger, as we've seen. I mean, even jerk is a heck of an understatement, to, you know, when he assaulted Sally. Yeah. But OK, he, he was... A word that I can't use on this podcast when he was younger, but as he matured, you know, he he grew older. He he kind of found, saw the error in his ways, and it took an event like this to kind of snap him and make him see, you know, the big joke of the world, if you will. So I can I can see what they're trying to do, and I probably would have had much less of a problem if it had been told in a different way. Yeah, I I got nothing else. So. <laughs> yeah, so I. At least I, I at least I'm giving them credit for doing something with the character that we didn't already know about the character. So this is a step up conceptually, if not in execution. Yeah, but something we didn't know, but that isn't, you know, accurate. <laughs> there's, there's a reason we didn't know. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't fit. You can't give someone credit for that. Oh, and look at this. He's also, you know, a star pitcher for the Yankees. <laughs> Why not? Just throw in whatever you want. Okay, moving on to <laughs> Night Owl, uh, written by J. Michael Straczynski with art by Andy and Joe Kubert. And I just realized I forgot to mention Comedian was by Brian, Brian Azzarello and J.G. Jones. But back to Night Owl. Again, I liked this was off to, I don't want to say a good start, but a decent start where we, we were learning how Dan became Night Owl. Am I okay with this? Showing off uh, Hollis you know, at the end of his career. But then you get into... 
the territory of the young Dan managed to track Hollis back to his owl cave, if you will. Uh, like, nobody, nobody follows Batman back to the back. <laughs> <laughs> they were super sneaky. So we have that fun little scene in the park where, you know, Hollis sets up his meeting with Dan where, he, you know, good job, kid. You did great detective work. But if you ever do something like that again, I'm going to freaking kill you. <laughs> and we get background into, you know, Dan's childhood. Not that great. And then Hollis changes his mind, takes him under his wing and we get the whole training aspect. Um, OK, I was OK with that. Again, there were some plot points that didn't quite work. But again, the concept worked for me. And then we get the fast forward to Night Owl, basically his first day on the job as the Night Owl instead of the sidekick. So we get a random Rorschach out of nowhere, which I understand this was pre-psychotic break, but and it just seems a bit random for him to just kind of show up in the Owl ship and be all, hey, let's be best friends. But uh, OK, you know, going along with it, we got a little bit of his team up with Night Owl, which I was expecting to read at some point because that's an important bit of character development between the two. And then it jumps into that crime buster scene, which we've now seen, I can't even tell you how many times already. And just, I don't know, the whole story as a whole just didn't work for me. Okay, let me ask you this now, though. When you read the crime story again, and, and I'm sure we're not done with seeing that scene either, did you feel like the artist, or not the artist, I should say, the writer actually thought they were paying homage to it, or that it was just filler shoved in so that they could get their 22 pages out? I don't want to say filler. I just think it's something he felt obligated to put in there. Yeah, like, I, I, like, it doesn't make sense to me. Again, it, if, if you're trying to tell a story and make it engaging and make it something that progresses your story forward, you can make reference to the meeting, but to actually show it again, right to the point of again, where big blue dude is staring at the new young chick kind of thing and the other one's not happy about it. It's like over and over again we're seeing this, and I, I don't think that it's, again, paying homage to what's come before. It's To me, it feels like filler. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we saw this one scene multiple times throughout the original miniseries, but every time we saw it, we saw it from a different perspective, and we learned something new out of this scene. This didn't, again, it, like we've said, it didn't show us something we haven't already seen before. I agree. So the entire issue, just in its pacing altogether, going from him being a child to him training to him being the hero to the team up to to the crime busters, it it just went from one story point to another so quickly. Overall, the entire story did not work for me. Again, like I said before, I, I felt that there were a lot of I did say it before, <laughs> and I'm going to own up to this one. There are too many cliches in this one as well, where it's about, you know, the, the kid that wants to be the superhero, the kid that, you know, the little boy Robin boy wonder kind of thing um, and then tracking him down and even all the interactions with him and being trained and and the 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 stuff with his folks and of course there has to be one bad parent they can't be both supportive because then it'd be a regular child not some screw up that thinks that they should run around in tights so you have the abusive father even though that came out of nowhere because when you're seeing them earlier, mm -hmm. yes, he's kind of talking that the kid has to get his head out of the clouds. Well, crap. Every parent says that about their kids at one point in their lives. But it, it seemed like 
kind of a nice supper. They're sitting around, they're just talking, they're talking about, you know, his job and this and that, but it wasn't like he's got a strap on the wife and she's got bruises on her and then he dies of a heart attack and she spits on him. It's like, whoa, where the hell did that come from? So, but again, there you have yet another cliche. So there was a lot of that going forward. So once Rorschach showed up, then I... I hoped that Rorschach being the character that he would, yes, there's some cliches associated with him, but still that the, the dynamics between him and Night Owl would make the remainder of the story far more enjoyable. And unfortunately, there just wasn't enough pages for that to happen because they felt the need to shove that meeting in there. Okay. <laughs> I concur. There you go. Moving along. <laughs> All right. Moving on to our last comic. Uh, it is Ozymandias, written by Len Wein, with art by Jai Lee. And Jai Lee was just absolutely incredible on this issue. Uh, some of his faces didn't quite work for me, but overall, this was okay. absolutely gorgeous. I'm curious which faces you were referring to for the second time. It's <laughs> uh, like every time you look at like the, the little kid, Ozzy, uh, Adrian, if you want to call him, <laughs> it just, I don't know, like the, 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 it, it, the proportion just isn't quite right, and like really? the, the 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 eyes, I, I don't. It just, it just seemed like it wasn't cohesive with the rest of it. I see. I didn't feel that at all. I I thought that the yes, his face was different throughout, but I thought that it was still him. I still recognized him in all of them, and I felt that it was a different take on how to portray a character that worked with that type of character. Mm -hmm. So I actually had no issues at all with the faces. And as I've already said, absolutely adored this art style, the layout with the semicircles, with the panels and everything, which fits the story, the theme so beautifully. Um, the colors are amazing. The, the, your eye is drawn to where it should be at all times. See now that I'm looking back through it, I think some of my my some of it comes to the coloring, like especially in Adrian's eyes. Like his eyes are such that vibrant so blue, blue that when the face is small on the page, like it, like it's a zoomed out shot, those two like bright blue dots just. I don't want to say it's bad. It just it it doesn't work. See, I felt that it was unnerving, which yeah. worked with the character. So in, in the larger shots when, you know, his eyes are more prominent and it's like mostly his face. Yeah, it's great. But like the, the, the more panned out shots like that's again, looking through it and like seeing like where my issues were, like the, the, the panels that kind of bug me the most are the one that it's where it's Adrian's face. But like it's a larger panel, so it's not as much detail. Right. OK. All right. Well, anyway, we love the art. What about the words attached to the art? Because they they did not work for me. It was. All introspective dialogue, which, as I've said, is you want to show, don't tell. And unfortunately, this is all telling and it's all him talking. It's not a character that is particularly relatable for most people because he is such a, an egotistical prick. Damn it. I'm going to have to. <laughs> that might be allowed. They say that I on TV. Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, so you had to edit now anyway. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's not a character that you can relate to. He's not something, someone that you can probably even care about. Now, granted, you do start to care about him in the early part of the story. Granted, they once again rely on far too many cliches in terms of 
he has to be that that kid who gets beat up and then learns to fight for himself and refuses yada, yada. to talk in contractions. <sighs> yeah. Oh yeah. So, like, I I actually liked this issue more than all the others. But it's still <laughs> That's not saying exactly. Much. But it's still <laughs> which pile of dog crap smelled the best. That is exactly what it boils down to. So unfortunately, I think that had the story been told differently, had there been far less introspective dialogue, which again I know that that type of character is always thinking in his head, but it doesn't have to be on the page that way. There's a happy medium, and I don't feel that they they meant it. Mm-hmm. And. Going into Before Watchmen, this was the one miniseries that I was most interested in because Adrian was the character that received the least amount of character development over the course of the original miniseries because, you know, he was the secret villain. You can't develop the secret villain or you, know, you kind of lose the secret. It, a lot of his stuff came at the very end of the story. So I was interested in seeing, you know, how this so-called, well, not even so-called, <laughs> what we've seen, most intelligent man on the planet reached the decision that, yeah, I have to launch a giant squid into Times Square to make the world a better place. So I was interested to see, you know, how he came to this worldview. And so far, it's... it's I hate him. <laughs> I'm not really that interested in seeing his story now because now I just don't like him. I don't think we were meant to like him. But I, it still fails. I, I know what you're saying, and it still fails. But, I mean, it's not like they had to make us like him. We've seen a lot of comics lately as well, too, where they're featuring villains kind of thing. But they're telling that slice of life or that story of them so that you can still enjoy the comic. I, I would have still enjoyed a story from the villain's perspective. But it's the manner in which it was told that I, I had a problem with. So, like, I wasn't expecting to like him. But even then, I wouldn't say the before Watchmen Adrian was a villain. You know, he he was a hero. He 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 did help people. He did do great things, you know, with his company and with his money. And just somewhere along the line, something changed. So, I I, I would have enjoyed this better if he had been more likable at the beginning and then seen that descent over the course instead of just being a complete jerk from page one. Right. No, I agree. All right, so that's the first five. Uh, coming out in August, I think, they're going to start the final two miniseries in Rorschach and Dr. Manhattan. And now that I'm looking at the list, uh, Minutemen, Comedian, and Ozymandias are six issues. Silk Spectre, Night Owl, Rorschach, and Dr. Manhattan are all four issues. So, And, of course, that kind of makes sense because Silk Spectre and Dr. Manhattan, as well as Night Owl and Rorschach, are going to have some overlap in their stories. So. Yeah. Yeah. That actually makes sense from a publishing standpoint. So that's the one thing that does make sense in this whole mess because we talked about it when it was first announced. And everybody knows I, I love The Watchmen. It's one of my favorite comics of all time. But I wasn't entirely against the concept of doing the prequel, especially because so many of these creators are very talented people. And I've loved a lot of the comics they have put out. And just something somewhere isn't quite working. And now, again, based on the strength of most of the writers here, I'm inclined to believe they will get better <laughs> over the course of the miniseries. But I'm not going to want to read because based on the strength of the first issues of all five of these miniseries, there's nothing here that I'd like to see more of. I, When you're looking at the price of comic books and... This is not a, a an inexpensive 
series to pick up. You're This is an investment when you're looking at both six and four issues for all of these. Yes, you can just pick up a few, but if you are a quote-unquote Watchmen fan and you want to pick them all up, that's a hefty price to put on this. And looking at the strength of these first issues, which are supposed to be the strong ones, the middle ones are the ones where it kind of goes down a little and then it peaks at the end. I really... I'm in no rush to buy any more of these. See, and you'd think, because DC had to know they were going to get so much blowback from the controversy surrounding this, even before they announced it, obviously. when they, As soon as they decided to do this project, they had to know people were going to be upset about it. So they had to know they ha- their A game was mandatory, and I'm not seeing it. It's It's really disappointing. Yep, I agree. Okay, so moving into what we're reading, I actually haven't been reading that much uh, lately. But the one thing I did want to touch on was the Voltron miniseries coming out from Dynamite. And I've talked before about how much I enjoyed this take on you know one of my childhood favorites and how it was doing something completely different, showing us new aspects of the setting that we never even would have imagined before. And especially in the latest issue, issue six, touching back in – And mentioning that there is more than one Voltron, you know, not just the lions. Of course, from the cartoon series, there's a second one that we know of. But giving us that glimmer that there's at least three more of these, you know, great robots out there. As a fan who's been enjoying the series, now I'm getting these ideas in my head of what more can they do? How much more new stuff can they introduce that still all ties back in with the, the the core story. And I'm just really excited to see where they go from here because just about every issue has given me something I could not have even expected or imagined. But once it was there, I was absolutely in love with it. Hmm. You're not going to like it. No. <laughs> As I said, that, that's, that's all I got this week. Uh, do you have anything for us? I, of course, read some more of AVX. Knowing that we have to now, it's going to be insanely important to the continuity. So I read. I'm I'm happy with my recaps. Yeah. Well, I apparently I'm more devoted than you. I I read a bunch of them, um, from AVX number seven to um, which one? Uncanny X Men number fifteen. Well, of course, I read X Men. Um, Wolverine is Peeps number twelve. Um, I think that's the one where he sends Rachel bouncing out of the bar. <laughs> is that the one? You know what I'm talking about? There's a scene yes, where Rachel. Oh, okay, yeah. Rachel goes to talk to him in this bar, and, it's... <laughs> and he sends her bouncing out. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> so, and Beast taking a bite out of Iceman. <laughs> Don't eat me. That was me. hilarious. <laughs> Actually, tastes good. <laughs> Again, you know what? In all of this stupidity, Wolverine is peeps. God, I love. Who's writing this? Who's writing? It's uh, Aaron. It is. Yeah. Jason Aaron. I I'm loving what he's doing with this. Just stay off the freaking Hulk. But I mean, what you're <laughs> doing with the X-Men, love it. Um, so I've been reading a bunch of that and it's like this whole crap with Summers and Namor are fighting together now too. Uh, and not digging it. Not at all. Um, what, what was it in uncanny 15 where we saw the scene of a uh, Colossus with Sidorak? Or was that an AVX? I uh, oh, you know what? I have fifteen. I haven't read that one yet. Oh, okay. So, so no, and that it is in that one. Yes, 
yeah, so it, it's a cool moment where you know we see Colossus confronting Sidorak, who is the 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 godlike being that bestows the Juggernaut power upon him. So it's like, oh, ever since he became the Phoenix, you know, the Juggernaut stuff hasn't popped up. So it was cool to see them touch on that. And again, it's one of those cool moments that like, okay, this could be awesome down the line as long as it happens in Uncanny and not in ADX. Yeah, really. Um, other than that, it's been all Spider-Man. Uh, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number 12, which has him going up against his uncle. Have you read I, that yet? I haven't had a chance to read that yet. Freaking good. It was really good. We're, we're dealing with a lot of different dynamics with that character that obviously you didn't get with Parker. And the character himself is insanely different. Like, there's just so many differences. Um, yeah, there's some some things that do tie the two together, him and Parker, but I mean... He still has his own thing. And and part of it is that, and, and part of it is I've, I've raised four kids. So I, I see the youth in him that hasn't yet become the man that he's going to be for the rest of his life. And we got to see that with Parker throughout all of the years growing up, how the character evolved and became the man that he was going to become. And when we're looking at Miles now, I'm seeing that kid yet that we haven't seen grow up into the man that he's going to become. And that's, it's fairly exciting. So when you're looking at these very powerful moments, which, I mean, if you're looking at it on the surface, it's easy to gloss over it. But if you're actually in analyzing what is happening to him here, that someone that he respects and cares for, and, and that is his uncle, is doing this to him and trying to use him. It, it's, there's a lot of impact there that is implied that again you you if if you come from a screwed up family or know any screwed up families you'll appreciate a little bit more as well <laughs> so um but no i'm really really digging what he's doing with that character and then of course when you then look at um spider-man number two with him and, and parker did you read that one yet yes i did Dude. i did read i read something that one was awesome it was i love i love how his answer to the problem was just take him to Nick Fury. <laughs> yeah, really? I, I thought that was funny. But everything that's happening, it's one of those times where, like when you're reading a comic book and it's that what if this happened, which, you know, Marvel does the what ifs. Um, and what if Spider-Man happened to be in a place where everybody knew who he was kind of thing and how would he react to it? And the way that he reacts in this makes sense it's like that is probably exactly how i would have written that so i'm seriously digging it the fight scene between the two was fantastic <laughs> yes when when he uses the venom sting on him <laughs> and it's like i don't want to kill you <laughs> kind of thing and the when he's invisible as well there's a lot of tricks that he has that parker does not like it was all around an absolutely fantastic issue. Absolutely adored it. Agreed. All right. And then finally, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, 688 and 689, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, or is it 87? Yeah. yeah, 88, 89 with the Lizard. Good stuff. Not nearly as strong as what we've been having recently. But good stuff. Uh, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. See, you never read the uh, the shed stuff uh, before Slot took over when the last lizard story, basically. Okay. No, I didn't. Okay. That's 
seriously one of the best Spider-Man stories I've ever read. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Because it's referenced in here. Yes. Okay. I'll have to so go back and see if I can find wanna, those issues. Yeah, you may want to check that one out. Yeah. I mean, it's not that this was bad at all. It's just... Oh, no. It is still quite a so departure... They can't all be tens. No. But it's still... It's quite a departure from just a few issues ago. Now, I don't know if this is Slot trying to show that he can write a lot of different kind of styles and whatnot, but if you were to cover up Dan Slot and just show people this, I could assume that this would be a lot of other writers and not Dan Slot, really, to be honest. We've seen him write a lot of different yeah, style I stories agree. already. I agree. Though, so. I agree. I'm not saying it was bad by any stretch of the imagination, just not nearly as strong as what we've seen from him recently. That's still very fun to read, which is most oh, yeah. important when you're talking about Spider-Man. Exactly. Yep. That's it. Okay, so for today's new releases, from Marvel, we have Avenging Spider-Man number nine, co-starring the new Captain Marvel. Uh, AVX versus number four, I'm sorry. Captain America number 14, Dark Avengers number 177, Defenders number eight, New Avengers number 28, New Mutants number 20 or 45, Space Punisher number one, which there's no way that can't be awesome. <laughs> Spider-Men number three, Ultimate X-Men number 14, Uncanny X-Force 27, Venom number 20, and Wolverine and the X-Men number 13. <laughs> From DC, I'm looking at Batman, Demon Knights, and Swamp Thing number 11, as well as the trade paperback edition of Uncharted, which we talked about uh, about six weeks ago, right? Yep. And okay. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. And rounding out the list from Dark Horse, The Massive, number two, and from IDW, Transformers, Regeneration 1, number 81, which, like I said, uh, when we did our free comic book day issue, is picking up exactly where the original Transformers comic left off, as well as Volume 2 of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Enemies Old, Enemies New, in paperback. And from Image, we have two comics that I cannot wait to read. The first one is Chew, Secret Agent Poyo, One-Shot. <laughs> And, of course, the big comic for the day, Walking Dead number 100, which has for like nine different covers. And honestly, they're all amazing. <laughs> they were saying, correct me if I'm wrong, they're expecting it to sell 300,000. Is that what I read correctly? That sounds it has it's like ridiculous, huge pre-order numbers. Insane amount of issues that they're talking about that this is going to sell. And wow. One, that's a big testament to, uh, you know, Walking Dead's popularity. But, of course, you have that whole collector aspect. You know, yeah. there's some people who are going to buy nine copies of this comic because there's nine different covers and, you know, hoping it's going to be worth something, you know, someday. Like I was reading not that long ago where um, right after the end of season two, somebody sold their Walking Dead number 18 or whatever it was, which was the first appearance of Michonne for like seventy thousand dollars. I was like, What? Okay, Walking Dead has been a fantastic comic, but I'm sorry, there is no way a comic that's, what, eight years old is worth $70,000? You're insane. <laughs> whoever bought that, whoever sold it, high five, buddy. Yeah, no kidding, really. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a hard time believing that almost any comic that's been published in the last 20 years is going to be worth anything any day. Like the, the entire collector aspect of comics has just been so devalued. But I mean, if you want to have it, great, own it. But like the people who buy it so that it's going to be worth something someday, I'm honestly not seeing it anymore. Well, people have money. They want to waste hey, it. Hey, spend it however you want. Exactly. Please. 
I got some issues from last week. If you got a couple of thousand, <laughs> give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> I have the first appearance of this character. You're never going to hear from again. Really? <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's going to finish up this very entertaining and interesting and fun to edit episode of Comic Book Informer. Uh, you can find us at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. So until then, we'll see you next week. Dude, there's going to be like 10 minutes of outtakes. Good Lord. Like, yeah, we've been going for an hour, but once you edit, it's going to be like 25 minutes. <laughs> Christ. That is nuts. Well, now I think you got me sick. I do that to people. I don't know how you did it through Skype, but you did it. You <laughs> That's what I do. Spread the love. And infectious diseases. Frequently both at the same time. All right, where'd I drop? You dropped at... Damn. Where, you know, Hollis sets up a meeting, and he's like, okay, yeah. Damn it. What the hell is going on? Having audio issues again? I really, really don't at all. <laughs> if you were to say now, I don't want to do any more of this, I would understand. All right. Do you say something, though? I want to make sure your squiggly lines are squiggly. I have to go back and talk about yes. that freaking Night Owl comic you do. again. You do. You actually do. You really do. <laughs> I notice this only so... happens when we talk about stuff we hate, too. <laughs> <laughs> I can splice together the little bits that I said that it picked up on <laughs> and we can assume what you said in there, put some little Jeopardy music in there, a couple of record scratches, people will get the hint if you want to just put it out like that I'd be alright with that, I gotta tell you You say that now, but then you're gonna go to edit it and you're gonna hate me Oh no no, this is be. it wouldn't be a big deal to edit oh, It'd be a couple of record scratches boom, she's out there now let, let's do this. You, you are far more dedicated than I am. Someone has to be. <laughs> Listen, I'm on three different types of pain meds. <laughs> I, I got no dedication. I, I'm here. <laughs> Cut me some slack. <laughs> I got two hours sleep last night. Seriously, I was making myself a peanut butter jelly sandwich at three in the morning because I couldn't oh. sleep. And a hot toddy and Tylenol 3s. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm barely functional right now. Granted, I'm not taking the blame for this. <laughs> this is not my fault. But I should have caught the squiggly lines faster. That I will own up to. Go on, Rorschach. Okay. So, again, I got to remember what I said. It's not like I have a script here. I said that line. You stole my line, you I bastard. <laughs> Listen, this is your punishment. <laughs> Sorry, Colin. Trying to speed the segment along <laughs> for the for the third time we've done it. Yeah, but now I'm gonna sound like I got nothing to say. <laughs> All the cool things I said before, well, you already covered it. Now you sound more intelligent. You took my intelligent stuff and you made it yours. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh, man. This is not coming out tomorrow. <laughs> this is, is going to take a couple of days to edit. <laughs>
Oh my god. Uh, <gasps> I'm crying, dude. <laughs> what happened so much? <laughs> Just let me know when you're ready to continue. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Dude, my dad, dog just passed wind. I'm gagging. Oh, God. It's like... <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> Blame it on the dog. Oh, dude, no. Seriously? <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Came the man that we know. <clears throat> Pardon me. The man... Good Lord. Because... <clears throat> <laughs> Jesus, what is wrong with this episode? <laughs> if it's not that the software isn't working, I don't work. Um, when he first started kind of thing. So it's that excitement of wondering. <sighs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> I'm getting a drink. 